Oh, no. Uh, Tony, you're lying to us. We are tired. Hey, that's okay. Uh, I, I'm excited uh, for, for today. Um, one, because we're actually going to finish the book of Jonah. We're going to finish reading it together, which means that every single one of you in this room will have read a book of the Bible by the end of this, like from start to finish, which some of you, I, this might be the first time. Many of you, it might be like you've done this before, but I'm just so excited that we're going through an entire book of the Bible together in this weekend. Um, as, as we go into this message, I just, I want to pause before we even read the passage and just ask, like, the rhetorical question. What has God been up to this weekend in you? What's God been up to? Because he's been up to something, and maybe for some of you, you actually haven't considered what he's doing. And so maybe even as we go into this message, to take a second and pause and think, God, what have you been up to in me this weekend? How am I going back? How are you transforming me and changing my life? To really consider that. Because that's a super important question for us to ask as we are heading back home very, very shortly. But with that, we're going to be in the end of Jonah, Jonah chapter 4. And so you guys can flip there. You know the drill. I don't need to, to tell you because you all know it. You should have your Bibles. Jonah chapter 4. Do you guys know the page number now? It's because you flipped there so many times. <laughs> Jonah chapter 4, starting in verse 1. In the honor of God's word, would you guys stand with me as we read this chapter? Oh, we're so tired, but it's so important. All right, Jonah 4, starting in verse 1, it says, But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country, that that is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish? For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat in the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come over, up over Jonah, that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on his head, uh, the head of Jonah, so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And Jonah said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle? Would you guys pray with me? Father, we, we stop and we, we acknowledge that, uh, that Jonah's heart is all over the place. He runs away. He's... He's sad for his own loss, um, but then he also is excited by, the, by God giving him a second chance, but then is bummed that the people of Nineveh are getting a second chance. And God, as we look at this story, I, initially I'm confused by Jonah. 
But Lord, I, I want to pause and acknowledge that my heart is more like Jonah than I want to admit that my heart is all over the place. And God, I believe that our hearts in this room are also all over the place where sometimes we feel up with you and sometimes we're just pushing you away. God, would you make so clear in our hearts today as we look to your word and to our lives that, that you are a God who draws near even when we continue to push you away and we know you. God, would you help us to understand? We love you. Praise things in Jesus' name. And everyone said? Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Awesome. Hey, I, uh, I started serving in youth ministry uh, back in 2012, which was sweet. Uh, it's a cool opportunity. I, I got saved at a, a mega church. It was like 12,000 people. And that's what I thought like churches were. Like I just thought that like churches were huge because that's what, what I really knew. And then when I went to college, I was told by my youth pastor, he said, hey, Tony, make sure you find a church that preaches the gospel. I was like, yeah, what else? He's like, no, that's, that's literally, that's it. Find a church that loves Jesus and get plugged in. And so when I was in college, I went to a church, uh, I actually went to a church that was about 300 people. And so from 12,000 people to 300 people, and it was a very, very different experience as you can imagine. Just getting to know like the names of everyone there and there being uh, two services instead of like 40. Um, and I, I got to be a part of this youth group, and being a part of it, I actually was given a lot of responsibility in ways that I wouldn't have been given back at home just because there were so many people. And so I interned at this church and was given the opportunity to teach pretty regularly on Sundays to the youth group, which was super cool as like a college student, and especially as I knew I wanted to go into ministry. And so I was like, this is something I really want to do, and so I want to take every opportunity I can to do so. And so uh, there was this, um, this one Sunday I was supposed to teach in the youth group on a Sunday that I was supposed to teach um, my junior year. And I remember I hadn't prepared in time, especially I'm like, I'm the kind of person that puts things off to the last minute. Is anyone like that here? Do you put homework off to the last minute? You're like, yeah, I got homework to do today. Uh, I, I'm like that. And so literally on Saturday night, I stayed up late finishing my message and what I had to say. And I stayed up a little too late preparing my message. Because when I went to bed, next thing I know, I wake up to seven missed phone calls. I check the clock. It's 11.30 a.m. I slept through the youth group. I slept through church, the message that I was supposed to give. And in that moment, all of the waves of shame come crashing down on me of like, how embarrassing I was given this chance to be able to take a leadership position and to teach in the youth group, and I just sleep right through it. I missed it. And so I kind of like pick up the courage to, to hop on the phone to call the youth pastor back and just apologize and say, I'm so sorry. This is so embarrassing. Like I should have, I, I should have been able to wake up and show up on time. And so I call the youth pastor, and his name's Dwayne. I call Dwayne, and I'm just like, I, I'm so sorry. I did not mean to do this. And he said, you know what? Hey, Tony, no problem. No one knows. No one knows. I was like, what do you mean? How do they not know? They're like, I was supposed to teach today. He's like, yeah, I stepped up and I taught on your behalf. I didn't tell a single person that you were supposed to teach today. Nobody knows. You dropped the ball, but I picked it up for you. I got you, bro. It's like, Dwayne, are you sure? Like, are you sure that you like just took this one off the chin for me? He's like, yeah, it happens. I'm here to support you and to build you up. I was blown away by that moment because really I deserved in a sense to like not be given a chance to teach again. I dropped the ball. I was given the, ch the chance and opportunity to do something well and I failed. 
And with that, Dwayne said, you know what? This is what we do. We pick each other up, we dust each other off, and we send each other back out there. I was like, I mean, uh, emotionally changed by that. Like, that just, like, impacted me in a huge way that Dwayne was willing to take something off the chin for me because he cared. Aren't we drawn to stories like this? When somebody is willing to sacrifice for another, when it makes no sense for them, like, they're willing to take on shame, they're willing to take on embarrassment for us and for our mistakes. Aren't we drawn to that? I believe that we're really drawn to stories like that because it truly reflects the heart of God. That we were designed to reflect him, like we're looking at the the gardener talking with Jojo. We were designed to reflect him, so when there's moments like this, we're just so blown away. And we also are blown away because it just isn't very normal that people would do this. We look out in the world and people are looking out for their best interest, right? Do you you feel that way? I feel like, man, when when I'm out and around, it just seems like everybody's looking out for themselves generally. And it seems to be, I mean, we see that people's heart reflexes naturally is sin, that people want to look out for their own ways. But for those who have a relationship with Jesus, God is retraining our heart reflexes to look more like his. If you have a relationship with Jesus, he is retraining you to have a heart that looks more like his. And that's exactly what we see God doing with Jonah in Jonah chapter 4. I I love this chapter I actually think for teenagers especially that chapter 4 is maybe one of the most impactful chapters of the Bible because it's showing this emotional roller coaster that I think a lot of us can relate to of, man, God, I know who you are, but there's just times where I just don't feel it. There are times that I'm missing it. There's a disconnect. And we see how God responds to Jonah in the midst of that. And it's so powerful. And so let's take a look at it today. First thing, the first point I want us to see is that even as followers of Jesus, we are going to continue to struggle with sin. Even as followers of Jesus, we're going to continue to struggle with sin. The first three verses, let me just read it again. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. What is he angry at? He's angry at the fact that God forgave the Ninevites, that they repented and God relented from them. He's so frustrated with that. And then he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God, merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. And then in verse 3, Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Jonah misses the entire point that he was given a second chance. Like, remember as he's praying from the belly of a fish of, God, I'm, I want to be for you. I'm, I'm going to go and do this. And he's given a second chance from, from God. And then when Nineveh is giving a second chance, he's so frustrated that he says he wants to die. Like, he is so depressed and anxious and angry at what has happened that it's like it's not even worth living for. But notice what Jonah's doing. In, in verse 2, Where does he go? Where is Jonah going? To God. Even though he's so upset, even though he's got all of these emotions, he stops and he prays, God, I am upset. And he brings his emotion to him. 
He brought his imperfect feelings to God. So even though what Jonah is feeling and like processing is wrong, he's heading in the right direction. All in all, Jonah's experience shows us that God's people, is gonna, we're going to continue to sin, but we continue to do that as we continue to go towards Jesus over and over again. Just because you have the correct answers doesn't mean you're going to have this Christian walk all figured out. Just because you've been faithful before doesn't mean you're not going to struggle tomorrow. We're going to continue to struggle in our sin. And this is what the followers of Jesus, people who have made their, like, that have committed their life to Christ, are invited into. It's called a, a, a lifetime of sanctification, a lifetime of growing in Christ likeness. Sanctification, what it means is the process of growing in holiness. The process of growing in holiness. It's a slow, gradual movement towards growing, towards like personal change, powerful change in holiness, becoming more like Jesus and less like this world. That it's something that is happening. As you are in relationship with Jesus, you are going to look more and more like him and less and less like the world, less and less like sin. We're growing in our brightness of reflecting God. How many of you guys, uh, maybe back at home or maybe you've seen it have a, a, a bathroom? You guys have bathrooms, right? Yeah, okay, cool. Uh, how many of you guys have a bathroom, maybe with the lights that have like multiple light bulbs above the mirror? Anybody have that? Like one of these? Yeah, a few of you? That's what I grew up with. I had a, a bathroom that was like this. And for those of you who have it, maybe I'm looking around the room and uh, where are those hands again? Who has those? Okay, cool, cool. Uh, for those of you who have it, uh, are any of the light bulbs out at home? Yeah? Uh, how many light bulbs have to like go out before you end up replacing them? All of them, right? You have to wait until they're all out. Maybe there's two that are on and you're like, two out of five, okay, this kind of looks bad. I'm going to start replacing the bulbs. And you replace all of them. And the first thing you notice when you replace those bulbs is, oh my gosh, it is so bright in here, right? I didn't even know how bright this bathroom could be. But the second thing you notice is you look down and you say, oh my goodness, this place is so gross, this is such a mess. I didn't see all the dirt that was on the sink. I didn't see everything around the toilet, on the floor, because the light is it's blowing up the room, and now I'm seeing everything that I didn't see before. When we grow in sanctification, when we're growing in towards Jesus, looking more like him, we are getting closer and closer and closer to the light, and we are seeing more and more and more of the sin that's in our heart. It's growing, Jesus is growing brighter and brighter in us, and so we are becoming more and more like him, and we're actually hating our sin more and more. And so the challenge, the struggle continues to happen because we become, we become more and more aware of what's going on in our heart. Sanctification means growing closer to Christ because he's making you more like him. I also, if maybe you like graphs, there's another picture I want to put up. Uh, this is what sanctification looks like. It's growing in deeper and deeper knowledge of God's holiness, but also growing deeper and deeper knowledge of our own sinfulness. And so you see the cross itself is growing bigger and bigger because not because Jesus is becoming like larger in that, but our understanding of what Jesus did for us is growing in our hearts. That's what it looks like to be in relationship with God over time. The cross becomes more and more significant day by day for the life of the Christian. Because you are becoming more and more aware of how desperately you need Jesus. It's not that you just needed Jesus when you asked him into your heart when you were three years old or you asked him to your heart last night. You need Jesus every single day and you recognize that you need him more and more. 
If you are walking with Jesus, you're going to continue to struggle with sin. But get this, you're also going to grow. You're also going to become more and more like Jesus over time. And it's going to take God's timing for that to happen. Jeremiah 17, 7 and 8 lays a picture for this. It says, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is in the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. I love the imagery of what it looks like to grow in relationship with God. It's like being like a tree planted by the water. I, for so many of us, we don't notice trees growing. Like, obviously, if it's a new tree, a little sapling and it grows, you notice it. But when a tree is full grown, when it's grown up, you don't notice when it's grown six inches. It's growing, but we're not taking notice of it. But still, it takes so long for it to grow, and it's so easy to miss if we're not looking for it. We, when we're growing in our relationship with Jesus, if you have faith, you are growing so slowly, but it is happening. And so I want to say this. If you look back on your Christian life and you see any ounce, any movement towards Jesus, that is reason to praise God for what he's doing. Because you cannot grow towards God on your own. You are incapable of growing towards God on your own. You need his work to be working in your life, which is so powerful when we look back and we see God working and making us look more like him as we maybe even begin to say no to things that we used to say yes to so easily before. When we begin to struggle with things that maybe weren't a struggle before because we just gave into it. That is God working in our life and that is powerful. I don't think we give it enough credit. I think sometimes we think, oh, of course, that's just what's supposed to happen. But God is continually doing miracles in our lives over and over and over again as he's making us become more and more like him. Jonah is running towards God even though he's in the wrong. It's a struggle that is happening here. But I love that God responds to him in this struggle, not with disappointment, but with love. You see, God continues to pursue us. He continues to pursue Jonah. Look at the next few verses. Look at verse 4. And the Lord said, Jonah, do you do well to be angry? Jonah, does this, does this make sense to be angry about this? I think there might be far greater things for you to be upset about, Jonah. I love how uh, God doesn't just allow Jonah to remain sulking in this moment, just to remain complaining, but he's going to continue to work. He's going to continue to direct him towards himself. Look at verse 5. Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. And he sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm and attacked the plant so it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Jonah, do you do well? Is it right for you to be angry about this plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. Jonah, to kind of like give you a quick recap of what is going on in this second, Jonah is sitting outside the city seeing like maybe, maybe God's going to come through on his end. Maybe God's going to respond to Nineveh in a way that Jonah wants 
him to. And so he's waiting to watch it. And God causes a plant to, to grow it's somehow, some way, miraculously, and he is under it, and it's protecting him from the sun. And of course, in this place, it would have been very, very hot. And so that would have been really helpful to stay out of the sun a bit. But of course, when he wakes up the next day, the plant's gone, and he wakes up to just a scorching heat. And he's so frustrated, like, can't anything go my way? I'm talking about with the lemonade, like, can't anything go the way that I want it? Jonah is so upset that this plant has withered and is gone. And here God is pointing out that Jonah cares more about a plant dying than the idea of Nineveh dealing with God's punishment. If I were God, if I were God in this situation, I would be so annoyed. Like, Jonah, when are you going to get it? Like, come on, what, what can I do to help you understand? Haven't you learned anything, buddy? Like, haven't you learned what we've, from what we've gone through? Do you ever feel you ever feel like you're just like a mistake away from pushing God too far away? Have you ever felt that way? You're just like, man, I'm so in the wrong. If I just mess up one more time, he's just going to be done with me. I look at a story like this, and I mean, that's what I would think that God would respond to that. I was just like, Jonah, you've messed up. You've, you've, done, you've done too much bad. Like, God, God, if I were like you, that's how I would respond. There's a, this story of a of a guy who was on vacation who uh, went hang gliding, um, and it didn't really go so well for him. Uh, and instead of explaining it, I thought that I would actually show you guys this story. Uh, it's about a minute long, and so you guys can look at the screens for the story. Ah, anybody else, like your palms are sweating watching that? It's just like, oh my gosh, I can't imagine to be going on a hang gliding ride. Like how fun, like how exciting that I'm going to get to do this on my vacation. And all of a sudden realizing you're taking off and you're like, oh no, my life is in my hands right now. If I let go, I'm going down. It's crazy how he holds on and he's giving everything that he can. Like really think of how, how tightly would you be holding on in that situation? You'd be given everything you've got, but if you slipped, you're through. 
right? I think sometimes we think of our relationship with God that it's, man, I just need to hold on tighter because if I let go right here, I'm, I'm a goner. God is going to just let me plummet. Like he's just going to let me go. We sometimes can be convinced that if we are the ones who are holding on tight enough to God, to our relationship with him, that if we're just one mistake from slipping away, that God's just going to let us drop. Can I just tell you right now that that couldn't be further from the truth? That is not a picture of what it looks like to be in relationship with God. God has you secure. He is holding you on to you so much more tightly than you could ever hold on to him. You are secure in him. And the cross continues to be sufficient for you. That God is continuing to offer you himself. That he's available, merciful, good, and sovereign, continually offering himself to you. So even if you have been in relationship with Jesus and you feel like, man, I keep getting things wrong. The gospel still is offered. It still applies to you. God continues to offer himself to you. God moves towards us, even in our mistakes, even in our anxieties, even in our fears, even in our depression, even in the hardest of heart, he continues to move towards you. Even when you try to push him away, he seeks after you. I love that when Jonah is praying to God and complaining about things he shouldn't be complaining about, God takes it as an opportunity to love and teach Jonah in this moment. This is reflecting God's heart towards us, is that even when you are getting things wrong, God continues to pursue each and every one of us. Even when our grip begins to wane, when it begins to slip out of our hands, we're not going anywhere. You are secure in him, and I promise you that. That is who God is. He holds on to us because he is pursuing us. Then this last verse, don't want us to miss this, God continues to grow our love for others. Look at how the last verse goes. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who, persons who do not know their right hand from their left? And then this part's really funny to me. And also much cattle. Just got to make sure that we get the cows in there. God has every right to care about Nineveh. He created them. Like, he has every right to care about them. And he has every right to desire for Jonah, his Bluetooth speaker, his spokesman, one of his people, to also care about the things he cares about. God desires for Jonah to care about the things he cares about. And more than that, God is making sure that Jonah doesn't, doesn't just walk away without seeing that he wants that for him. He wants to make sure that Jonah actually grows in his love for others as well. So God continues to grow in Jonah a love for others. No one here, no one can make a good case for deserving the work that God has done. No one can, can make a case and plead, in God, I deserve your love. But yet he still shows up. And so let me ask this question. Like, why, why is it so hard for us to love other people? Like, what, like, why is it hard to love people? Like, what comes to your mind? Or is it easy for you? Does it come naturally for you? Because it doesn't come naturally for me. It takes work. Why is it so hard to love other people? Well, I think it's, all, it's really hard because often it means that you actually have to put what you want to the side for the sake of another. That most often we want what we want still because our hearts are sinful. That's our reflex. That's what we want. And so we have to put it to the side. It takes work. People are hard to love well, but that doesn't mean that we have an excuse from trying. And when we look to Jesus, we see that Jesus was our example as one who did this so well. And when Jesus was telling his disciples what it looked like to follow him, he said this in Luke 14, 27, 
Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my own disciple. What is, what is he getting at? What is Jesus saying there? He's saying, if you want to follow me, if you want to continually be in relationship with me, you have to die to yourself daily. Meaning that you have to put your desires down for the sake of my desires, what Jesus is saying. You have to be willing to actually say, I want what Jesus wants more than what I want. And that's not easy. But it's such a beautiful picture of what Jesus has done for us. It's growing in selflessness. I remember uh, I, I, I've gone to the, the original Hume Lake a few times. I went in high school uh, to the high school camp, and then I went to the discipleship camp, which was like a way smaller, condensed version of the camp that uh, you weren't allowed to have mirrors or electronics, or uh, we were sleeping more intense. And so it was like more intense. Um, and uh, at that, I, something that we talked about that has just stuck with me, and it's been so helpful for me in this conversation of what it looks like to be selfless, was that whole week, what we had to do is we had Sharpie to two on our face. And I didn't have a mirror, so I didn't really see it, but I saw on everyone else that had uh, a two on their face. And we had a two on our face, and we had to write a three on our hand. And what we were told to do is we would, that, throughout that whole week is we're doing this to help you remember that as you live your life, God's coming first. You gotta like, make up a one in the sky or something. God's coming first. Others that you see with a two on their face, they're coming second. And then after them, you're coming third. A three on your hand. That has been so helpful for me. Okay, Lord, I understand. I'm, I'm, I'm following you, and I'm serving others. I'm pointing them back to you, and I'm putting myself third. And what that looks like in our lives, most importantly, what that looks like is telling people about what God has done and who he is. That God is available to all. That God actually expects of us, he calls us to live a life that reflects Jesus to other people, not just reflects in passing, but tells people about Jesus. The main verse for this, this weekend was actually Romans 10, 11 through 17. I'm going to read the, the first five verses, which says this, For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame, for there is no distinction before, uh, between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. If you know Jesus, man, that's, he's talking about your feet there, that we're called to bring the good news to others. How are people going to know about Jesus if people aren't telling them? How, are, how did you come to know Jesus? Someone had to tell you. You had to be told or you discovered a Bible on your own and you read the Gospels and you figured, oh man, this is what it looks like. But most likely, somebody told you. And so God is calling each of us to live a life that points others to Jesus. That's the greatest way that we can love Others, how will they know unless they are told? We're invited into sharing the story, pushing the kingdom further. And here's one of the coolest parts about it. You're not expected to do that alone. First and foremost, you have the Holy Spirit with you, that God is with you as you go and do that. And secondly, that you have your church, that you're called to be a part of a community that's continually to build up each other and to point others towards Jesus along the way. You don't have to do it alone. So as we wrap up Jonah 4, we see that we continue to struggle with our sin. 
God continues to pursue us, and God continues to grow our love for others. I want to end with this, just a, a, a quick practical, a pr- practical guide to how we can allow God to continue retraining our love for others. What does this look like? Three Ps. If you want to keep writing, this is helpful. Three Ps. If you want to be retrained, you want to keep learning what it looks like to pursue and love others for the sake of Christ. First, it looks like praying. It looks like praying. Don't just wait for the right moment, but to actually pursue God and ask for help. God, would you actually give me a greater desire to love people? Because on my own, I don't love people well. So God, would you stir that up in my heart? And I promise you, God loves answering that prayer. Number two, practice. Would we actually not just love people when it's easy, but would we seek opportunities to love people when it's really hard? And would we get creative? Would you consider other people in your life, maybe even in the row next to you, how can I love these people well? How can I love the people that are hard to love in my life, like my family, or the people at my school, or on my teams that are just, we just don't click? What if we actually put effort into considering, man, what does it look like to offer them the love of Christ? in ways that maybe they would not expect from me. To practice doing this, and one of the best ways is actually to tell people about Jesus, man, this is what God has done in my life. And for those who know Jesus, one of the best ways you can do that is you can say, hey, this is how I actually see Jesus in you. We need encouragement, don't we? We need to be encouraged by one another, and you can offer that to another. You can help them to continue pursuing Jesus well as you tell them, hey, this is what I see in you. Keep it up. We can practice it. And then this last P, we can persist. To not throw in the towel when things get hard. I'll actually, I'll I'll give you permission to throw in the towel when God throws in the towel on someone. But instead, we're going to persist and continue to love even when things get hard. That it's not just about making it easy, but we're going to continue to pursue and love people even when it's hard. And to do that, once again, in your church community is so essential because you have accountability and you have help along the way. People praying and being with you. It's a privilege for us to do these things, to pray, to practice, and persist as we are trying to reflect Jesus to a world that desperately needs him. It's been a gift to, to be able to, to walk through the book of Jonah with you guys this week. And my prayer is that you would continue to pursue and learn from the Lord, even as you maybe even... Uh, try to remember things that happened this week as you go back and read the book of Jonah, mark down things that you're taking away with you. But like I said, it's been a privilege. You guys have been awesome. Let me pray for you one last time and I'll get off of this stage. Uh, Father, I, I am so incredibly thankful for you. I am thankful that you are a God who knows every single story in this room and you are leaning in towards us. Father, thank you that your heart is, is tor- com- coming towards us when on paper it should be moving away. And God, I pray as uh, these students and counselors and pastors, as they head back home today, Lord, that this wouldn't be just the, the, the end of their growth, but would this be the beginning in ways? Would you continue to stir up in their hearts, ways that they can continue to grow in loving others, reflecting you, leaning on you. Would their communities be transformed because of these people living for you? And would you get all the credit? Would you get all of the glory because, God, you deserve it? 
We thank you that you are a faithful God that has worked this weekend and is not done yet. We love you, Father. Thank you for being a tender, kind, compassionate Father. Praise these things in Jesus' name. Amen.